Welcome to the Insightful Startup Podcast, a podcast to accompany the book, The Insightful Startup. In each episode, I talk to people who have been inspirations for the book, and through these conversations, you'll get additional perspectives on the most important concept of the specific chapters, and here I supply them to startup examples not mentioned. The book can be bought as print, e- or audiobook on the insightfulstartup.com. Peter Machelens is a venture partner at Accelerates and a managing partner at Overkill Ventures, a Riga-based pre-seed fund co-founded by myself and Accelerates. And before this, Peter was a program manager at Techstars. Today, we will discuss chapters five and six in the book. The chapters are called Developing Original Insight and Extracting Original Insight. And in the chapters, I talk about how startups can develop and further their original insight through a method I call Beachhead Immersion. So normally we want startups to have original insight when we meet them, preferably, right? But uh, sometimes they just don't. And is it crucial that they have it from the get-go or can it be obtained in the early phases? Peter, what was our uh, experience uh, from Overkill? Yeah, I think it's uh, not necessarily critical, but obviously that helps a lot, right? So startups are obviously able to move forward faster if they do have it from the get-go. But as in our experience, many of them will have tidbits of this insight, right? And they need it to be developed further. So I think then it depends a lot of who are these customers they need to get insight about, right? So if that's someone they cannot access, right, then it might be very difficult for them. So it um, so it all comes down to whether they can obtain that insight within their runway, right? How much time they have to obtain it, to be able to prove out their product and raise more money and go from there. I think that it's also about them having facets of this already or, 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 or small bits and parts, and then they can quickly further that. Because I think if you have no insight at all, it's not just about yeah. having, you know, time or the the intention i think it's it's about if you don't know where to start it's it's almost like a if you have to assemble a puzzle you need <laughs> the corners first yeah. you need some 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 part of it and the problem is i think before you actually start assembling the inside you don't know what the inside is almost like the puzzle right so you have the corners and then you start assembling it but actually not until you're done assembling the puzzle you know what it looks like so i think I think it's important to have somewhere to begin. One, one thing I'm constantly thinking about is what are the facets that uh, where startups typically have something to begin with and where is it that they uh, are typically lacking something? Anything that comes to mind on, on, on pieces of um, insights that they typically have and what are they typically lacking? For example, in, in, in marketplaces, it's typically it's typically the demand side, right? Because they, yep. they've been a buyer of something. That That's very typical, I think. Yeah, but I think we also see that with, let's say, B2B companies where they oftentimes might have a general insight into the problem that the company potentially has, but they may not have an insight into the individual who's the buyer or stakeholders in that. So I think oftentimes it's about expanding that to multiple stakeholders that have a, have a say in that product actually being bought and implemented. Yeah, so it's about further granularity yeah. typically whether that's on an individual level and how to yeah 
approach that uh, individual or yeah how to form a value prop for them or how to yeah serve all the others that are involved in making that decision typically in complex situations also typically the user buyer they yeah. sort of have a sense about right that this something is slow or complicated or something like that where they have less typically insight about some of those buyers buying influences they can basically stop something like the yep. CFO or the technical buyer the CTO and maybe what they're really like one thing is knowing how to circumvent these people but how to actually turn this into a value proposition for them so it's not something that will just stop but something that mm. will potentially actually uh, endorse I yep. think that that is where you that really demonstrates uh, original insight But I guess that's also where it becomes a bit tricky, right? Because if you only have this one person, if you have have the insight into right, how do you actually go about it, right? How do you how do you get it about the rest of the yeah stakeholders and involved parties in that decision? How to get them on board and how to design that value prop, right? Yeah. Any any thoughts on that? Um, well, I mean, one one the the what I'm writing in the book is about beachhead immersion, really sure. getting to immerse yourself with all these different stakeholders, understanding how they relate to each other, understanding before they potentially want to propose something, what are t the typical things they sort of, mm, what are they almost like afraid of, of, of facets of, hey, I cannot go to this person on this, I, I know this and this mm -hmm. and this, or this person will, uh, will not like my proposal because of so getting to these interpersonal dynamics I think is crucial so yeah it, it definitely in complex situations I think there's also so but I think it's almost like KPIs to some extent where you there are a certain set of KPIs that you need to understand but then there's also the the North Star this one big KPI and I think that's also true with original insight so you have you have Inside that is really deep and it's on various levels. It's it's all the way into the different people in the organization if you're selling to an organization. And it's to various facets of their psychology, interpersonal, uh, um, how they relate to each other interpersonally. But I think at the same time, you also need this big guiding North Star. So I'm thinking about some of the big ones in history when just thinking, maybe it's just because I don't know them well enough because I have never actually worked up basically <coughs> with Steve Jobs and Apple. But when you read the book of Steve Jobs, right, he had this huge original insight that graphical user interfaces is what is needed to make PCs consumer-friendly and actually buy PCs. At the time, famously, I think it was IBM, one leader who said there would be a market for like, I don't yeah. remember, like 20 PCs, something like that. And that was because PCs with these big clunky things they didn't have graphical user interface and you didn't know how to interact with them without without immense training, where um, Steve Jobs attended this, I think this it was this uh, class at, uh, at the university where he learned um, about calligraphy. And he, he understood that if you could add intuitive graphical use interfaces to a computer, it became understandable for most people to use. So that was a, an example of this big overarching insight that also, I think, helped him develop sort of the iPhone. So I think you need a big one like this, this North Star mm -hmm. inside, and then you need smaller, like detailed pieces of insight. Any any examples you can think of where that has where we see the dynamic of a big big insight and and smaller insights? 
Yeah, I think that if we look at the very successful companies, it's obviously tricky, right? Because this is not one of those things that you, unless someone has written an autobiography about that person, right? It's very hard to come by. It's not something you typically read in the news stories or whatnot. I guess partly because once companies become successful and scale, there's many more interesting things to talk about than like how exactly they developed this original insight. So I don't have any great examples, I think, from sort of, yeah, scaled companies that, that we would think about. But I think we still see it a lot in, in our portfolios. And obviously, still a lot of those companies are in their early days, but we've definitely seen a lot of impact in, in this sort of importance of, of uh, acquiring this insight and how that enables the founders both to build better product, to sell it better, and, and so on. Yeah, you're saying an, an important thing here, I think, is... Because one thing I was thinking about when writing the book was also why has no one really written about this? Because it seems so, to us now, obviously, because you talk so much about it, it seems so intuitive. You need to understand something about the customer that no one else really understands because then you can build a product that is more spot on than anyone else could build it. It's mm. so logical. But when you hear startup founders talk about their own success, they never articulate it in, in, yeah. in those terms. And I think I've been thinking a little bit about that. I I think part of it is simply that that is an uninteresting story. Like the interesting story is always because it, in a sense, original insight gives you a huge advantage and you don't want to hear about people who had big advantages. You want to yeah. hear about people who- The underdogs. Like, the <laughs> underdogs, right? Who didn't have any advantages. I'm a complete outsider. <laughs> Everyone turned me down. I And against all odds, I made it, right? Where original insight actually has some, some it's it has some unique advantage to it that I just think doesn't makes people not talk about it that much. Yeah, that's funny. Actually, even the example you use in the book with Airbnb, which is sort of a well-known, that's something that was published by Paul Graham. It wasn't even published by the founders themselves, right? So I don't You're know, right. maybe even they don't reflect too much I on that. I don't think so. So I've... Um, one of the clearest examples of original insight is from our portfolio company, Templify. Yep. And I, in another episode here, we can hear Christian from Templify also talk about, it wasn't until he actually read the book, he understood what he had was original insight, yeah. right? He, he understood that he knew his customers really well, but he hadn't articulated it in that way. And now him doing business angel investing, he's actually, he's actually thinking about that a lot. So it, it is one of those things where it's been staring you in the face, but it's just you haven't been able to articulate it in that way. But once you see it, you cannot unsee it. Yeah. Almost. I'm just also wondering now, with and maybe you talk with Christian about that, but also just in other examples of obtaining original insight. In, in their case and others, like how much you think of that insight is obtained essentially through sales process? Like you basically go in, you try to sell what you have because you have some first idea of what the customer wants and then basically through that sales process you obtain it and or 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 not or basically there's there's a different way how to do that or maybe depends it's an extremely good question right because i would argue that any company that has significant success any founder who has obtained a significant success has obtained original insight, but sometimes it is a byproduct of them just having serviced a lot of companies. And it's so clear because if you you can immediately distinguish, and when I meet a startup founder, I can immediately di distinguish whether this person is uh, 
is managing a company that has that, that has a viable business that's already running or someone who's just started out because that person who is having a business that's already running they always know their customers in intimate detail they always know exactly who they are servicing and who they're not servicing and they can tell you all these very very detailed and precise facts about their customers and that is immediately clear so in some sense they have obtained original insight i'm not sure all of them had original insight from the get-go or even that they've been 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 performing anything close to beachhead immersion so in the book i'm definitely saying that beachhead immersion is a way to obtain original insights definitely not the only way i just think that if you wanted to obtain it with as a primary goal of your activity obtaining original insight, that would probably be the fastest way to do it but i'm pretty sure it is a natural byproduct of just interaction with your customers yeah. and sales is interaction with your customers it's just that if you start off selling and not trying to gain insight from that your insight collection or insight articulation will be slower as a f- function of you not focusing on weaving together that picture but i do think that you can i do think you can up- obtain it through just selling I, there's also startups that don't really have original insight from the get-go because their business is essentially a more or less a replica of an existing business model. I think there are examples of that. And then you don't really require original insight. Original yeah. insight is basically required when you're, and that's why I make the distinction in the book about startups and startup ficated companies, because only when you are introducing something completely new and novel to the world, do you need original insight to the extent that it is portrayed in the book. But then you see these companies who actually go to market with something pretty plain, and then over time they ori- develop some yeah. original insight, and they actually they actually later either add a product that is pretty novel, or they they pivot slowly, start pivoting the company into something much more like startup-y. Is is that also maybe? I'm just wondering now. I mean, if a company doesn't require original insight, essentially what you're saying, it's more or less like whether that's an established category or or yeah, a space where maybe there are a lot of companies already in there. Do you is that potentially also a proxy for how interesting that is an investment uh, for investors, right? Because if it's something sort of if they're doing something that's common sense, and a lot of other companies are doing probably less interesting for VCs, right? Yeah, it's. I think VCs are weird in that sense, right? Because VCs want something that is a proven. Yeah. success at the same time they don't want to invest in in you know the uber for x the airbnb yeah. for x it's just the next version of something and it's a very difficult i mean we know that right with our portfolio companies right we have these companies where we take them to other vcs and they i mean they are sort of asking for proofs that this business model can become a venture returner a fund returner and i'm like but if that if that company existed within the category, it wouldn't be interesting. At the same time, you know, so they want that proof. At the same time, they 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 don't want there to be you know major competitors. So it's 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 tricky. I I, I yeah, it's it's really tricky. I I think I think that original insight. If if you need uh, to to answer your question a little bit differently, maybe uh, if you need original insight to succeed with something, I think you are in the in the territory of, of, of a new product, a new category creation, and that essentially should make you interesting for a, for a, uh, 
for VC fund. I think we're not the only one talking about it. I, I hear other terms sometimes being thrown around, yeah. like the secret, the secret yeah. yeah, the secret that startup founders and customers share. I think it's uh, Mike Maples who talk about that. And he's t basically talking about the same. It's, it's all about asymmetric information. I make this analogy in the book also about giving gifts, yeah. where, I mean, if I know a person better than someone else knows a person, I will be able to make it buy a better gift. So it's it's all about coming down to this asymmetrical insight. Yeah. So I think um, in the book, I'm also talking about the psychological aspect of customers. And I think that is one of the more, I would say, one of the more controversial parts maybe of original insight. I think everyone understands sort of, yeah, it's nice to be an industry expert and understand the industry even better than someone else, maybe even understand the, the more factual nature of a problem to a larger degree. But I'm talking about the psychology also, about understanding people on a psychological level. And that's because I've seen so many companies where when they know the customer on a psychological level, it's just a proxy of them understanding the customer. But obviously, you don't go and tell a customer that you understand them on a psychological level, right? It's not a, something you articulate. So how do you how do you see, if you agree with that, then how do you see understanding the psychological level of a customer actually translating into an, an advantage for a startup? Yeah, I think it's sort of more intuitive in the in the B2C investing, right? Because we understand we sell to consumers. Consumers are not necessarily rational, right? They're driven by all sorts of uh, weird things. And But for some reason, whenever we talk about B2B, we, 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 we want to think that these are these shrewd individuals that only optimize for, for the institution they work for. But yeah. they're not. They're still individuals, right? And I think that uh, you, you probably talk about that in the book as well, right? That... People think about selling to businesses, but selling to businesses is still selling to people that are in individuals in organizations, which actually makes it even much more difficult because you suddenly have the combination of basically their personal wants and needs and, and their personal situation, which now needs to be somehow squared with the organizational yeah. goals and strategy and all those things. So you basically need to be able to communicate both to them as, as individuals to, to sort of check those boxes, but also at the same time to the organization, right? Because obviously they, they kind of go to their boss and say, hey, I, I, I need this product because then I'm gonna, yeah, look cooler or whatever like is, is driving that person or then I'll have more slack time. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the clearest examples of that is that old saying, no one will be fired from buying IBM, yeah. which basically portrays the situation where the individual buyer knows there's a better solution out there, but the organization would prefer you sticking with whatever is known. Yeah. And you basically made a trade-off, right? So I think that, that is so true that even in B2B, there are huge conflicts there from an individual perspective and organizational perspective. And then you have interpersonal dynamics. So I think that is one of the, the reasons. I think also I think obviously you wouldn't articulate it in your sales process. Sometimes I, I do think maybe 
founders can take it almost too literal when we teach them about yeah. it, right? Where they're like, you need to understand the psychological levels, you really, but obviously you don't go and speak to a person like, <laughs> I understand your psychology, so <laughs> let me tell you why you should really buy my product, <laughs> right? You, you're not gonna actually do that. Uh, but I think being cognizant of why they actually need your, pro why they actually should wanna buy your product does allow you sort of to at least to highlight and prioritize your value proposition to sort of indicate that certain things would be uh, in their best interest. I, I think that would be the way I would phrase it to a startup founder, that that's, that's essentially, they can help them prioritize parts of the value proposition and also definitely talk about, help them how to eliminate or counter situation where they would be stopped internally because other people have, have psychological other agendas probably. Something we've typically seen in their hierarchical organization, when you sell into that, where you have maybe something like you have doctors and nurses and mm -hmm. these two psychologies. Uh, could, I, there was this one startup that basically uh, helped uh, doctors put on gloves because right now, basically what happens is if a, a surgeon will go into a surgery room, basically the, the nurse will put on gloves for him and there's some startup that positioned that it could help uh, the surgeons do that so it could free up the time. I was like, you don't, I don't think you understand the psychology of a surgeon. I, I'm not a surgeon, but I'm pretty sure they <laughs> love this ritual of just going in there, here's my hands, here's my life-saving yes. hands put on like gloves for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure they love that as an example. It's a crude example, but example by psychology. So I think that's, that's one of the things that I often see. Um, okay, so why do you think that uh, the inside, well, we talked about that, I can see. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about the consumers. So in consumer products, psychology is basically everything, I think. And But startups still targeting consumers, I think to a large degree, do talk about like the factual benefits. And why do you think it's so difficult for them to think about consumers in a purely, as, because we know, right, they are 100% driven by emotion. And why is it that startup founders do not really comprehend that or at least understand that to the degree that we as investors would want them to understand that? I guess it depends a lot on what's sort of the, the source of the, the inspiration for the idea in the first place. So that's why I think it depends a lot. I mean, sometimes you just have people that have not been sort of familiar with the, don't really know what the problem is. They're like, yeah, it would be really cool if, I don't know, this worked like that and like that, right? Like, but like, is that really a problem, right? And if they, if they just come from this perspective, sort of solution looking for the problem, I think that there you increasingly see them talking about the sort of the, yeah, tangible attributes of the product and, th and think that sort of consumers will automatically translate that into, other sorts of uh, sort of emotional benefits, right? Because they, as founders, may make that connection automatically, but with consumers that are constantly bombarded by all sorts of products and, and so on, I mean, you have to make that connection for them, right? Like they're, they cannot automatically uh, think that, hey, if this is, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't have a good example off the top of my head, but like they cannot make that translation, right? You need to be much more yeah, it's, it's a matter of vantage points, right? Yeah. I think you're absolutely right in that because as a startup founder, 
you basically your entire vantage point is your product, yeah. right? Whereas in vantage point for a consumer is basically who have all this selection. And what startup founders are typically underestimating in these uh, with consumer products and where they don't understand the psychology is basically that um, that startup that they, they have so many alternative uh, the consumers have so many alternative ways to solve a certain thing so for example let's, let's say you do a meditation app and you just you're yeah but we have a bigger library than headspace and they don't have this and this and this but it's like the competition here is not necessarily meditation apps right yeah. it can be yoga apps it, it's even maybe walks and yeah. it's going out for a run going out for oh. a run right there's a consumer you, you basically just want to recalibrate a little bit maybe maybe it's even a game yeah right and so what you're competing with is se- essentially not a category but it's a sensation it's a or a objective in your life and those are so broad that you can only speak about them in i mean in in emotional terms i think so one 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 uh, one of my favorite examples of of under- how much that actually means understanding psychology is L'Oreal, and uh, basically L'Oreal is obviously one of the biggest beauty brands in the world now. But they didn't they haven't always been, and I cannot remember what year this happened, but it's it's a lot of years ago. But they basically obtained this insight that ordinary housewife who made up the majority of the potential market uh, didn't buy beauty products and they didn't because they, they thought that they didn't need them because they were housewife so it would to them it was only uh, you know actors and and tv personals and people who were out in the service industry who actually needed it and when they understood this facet of the psychology and obtained this insight they made this very, very famous, which they still use today, this uh, because you're worth it. And and they, tr- they understood the deep psychology that the housewife didn't think they were worth uh, buying beauty products. Mm-hmm. And they understood that and articulated that. And this is one of the examples, where a little bit crude example, where you just use your insight directly smack up in the face. I understand, understand your psychology. Here is the value proposition, right? You mm-hmm. are worth it. But it's just a, a good example of how important especially for consumer products, the original insight is. And here you can maybe, to some extent, articulate it more like up in your face, whereas you wouldn't do that with B2B. Peter, it was a joy to have you on the show. Thank you for the discussion. And to you listeners and readers of The Insightful Startup, thank you for buying the book and listening to the show. You can find more episodes on the website, theinsightfulstartup.com, and you can follow me on LinkedIn under the name David Today.